up, everyone? Welcome back to another amazing episode of Culture FC, the weekly soccer show that's not really about soccer. We cover music, we cover fashion, we cover fan culture, we cover politics, we cover all of the things happening off of the pitch, just none of the stuff happening on it. My name is Louie, and I'm joined here with my two amazing co-hosts, Alan and Brendan. And this week, we got to talking about NASL. What is NASL? NASL is the North American Soccer League. And since 2011, they have operated essentially as the second division within American soccer. They took their name from the original North American Soccer League, which was the Division I league back in the 70s, which was, you know, the, the league that had Pele, Franz Beckenbauer, Johan Cruyff, George Best, all of the, these amazing uh, players who came to play in the U.S. They essentially took that name and tried to adopt the heritage. Unfortunately, their future is a little uncertain, and we kind of dove into why that is, their issues with the MLS, and kind of a little bit of what's going to happen with them going forward. As always, don't forget to leave us that five-star review on your favorite podcast app. We really appreciate it. Those reviews mean the world to us. They help us rank better on Google Play and iTunes, which gets more listeners, and it just helps us in the long run. So we appreciate it if you could do that. You can also find us on Instagram at culturef.c, or you can follow our clothing brand at Troublewear on Instagram as well. The three of us have a soccer-inspired uh, fashion clothing brand. If you have someone that you know that loves soccer that would enjoy this podcast, we ask that you share it with them because the more people listening, the better it is for us, the better we can get at this, and the better content we can bring to you. While watching or listening to this episode, if you have any comments, do you think we missed something out? Did we mess something up? Leave it in the comments below. We're very active in answering any questions, comments, concerns in the comments. If you're more of a listener and not a watcher, you can always email us at contact at troubleware.com. That is T-R-E-B-L-W-E-A-R.com. So that's enough of my rambling. Let's jump into this week's episode. You know what's weird? I feel like this time... Of the year, normally, you're, like, kind of wrapping up with soccer. Like, seasons are getting to a close. All the cup finals are starting to happen. But still got a lot of soccer to go. It's a lot of drama this year. Yeah, it's been a very dramatic. Well, the funny thing that I think is a lot of the main leagues around Europe have kind of already basically wrapped up. City's champion of England. Bayern's champion of Germany. Uh, Who saw that one coming? <laughs> Uh, in Spain, it's a little bit more iffy, but you know, you know, Barcelona's going to win it. They haven't lost a single game. Italy. Did you see the That's Napoli the game first? Yeah. Juventus. That's the one that I was going to say next. Is the fact that Italy a couple weeks ago, everyone was already writing off Napoli because there was a, I think it was six point gap or a four point gap. Yeah. And it was only a few more games to go. But then this past weekend, the fact that Napoli were able to pull out that win <coughs> was crazy. Blessing. Yeah. Within one point now, dude. That Within is crazy. Within one point with three games to I mean, go. they let it slip, though. They were, in, they were in the lead by, what, three points at one point, six points. But it's almost their fault. They were in the lead, like I know. you said. They let it slip. Um, and it, everyone's kind of – on the internet, I've been watching a lot of people are just like, let's go Napoli because they're so sick of Juventus winning every fucking yeah. year. Because um, since Juventus has come up from the second division – They've basically they spent a couple of years not being too great, and they've won six in a row now. Yeah, it's so, so it's like stupid. It's crazy. Same thing in Germany. It's like the last time Dortmund won was like that was. I feel like it was just yesterday, but it's been like six, seven seasons. Yeah. So no, yeah, they. Bayern's just been winning uncontrollably. 
Yeah, there's a big disparity in, um, in quality in, in those leagues, unfortunately. But I'd love to – I mean, dude, it would just be nice to see some competition there. I know. Like, I mean, in Spain, at least you get two. At least you have two. <laughs> but in up. England, you got four or five. Yeah. Uh, like, Germany, it's just there's just no competition. It's the same thing every year. Like, last year when Le- – I was talking to Egg last night. Last year, Leipzig did really well. Got second. We're yeah. looking real good. This year, Leipzig is sixth. They just fell apart. And uh, out of, like, all of the world fans that kind of support teams, Germ- Ger- the German league has some super loyal fans, like, in oh, terms yeah. of j- fanmanship and also just kind of atmosphere. So I really think they deserve a little better than it'd what they're be, getting. It would be so much better if, like, Bayern didn't win every year. Like, yeah. look, not, not knocking Bayern. They are phenomenal. But, god damn, do they really have to win every year? It's just not <laughs> as fun, you know? Yeah. But that, that being said, the, all the drama in, in Europe is crazy. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's um, get into the three topics. Start this off. Get into the podcast. I'm going to start off with something a little dark. You two may have seen it already, but... Liverpool Roma game, uh, great game to watch, great but result. stuff happening off the pitch that was not so great. Which directly ties into last week's episode. Yes. So, anyone, if you haven't heard of this yet, but before the match, um, there was some activity, some violence. One man actually got stabbed. Two men arrested. There are videos circulating online with a man with a hammer hitting people. I mean, just like all-out brawl anarchy is is pretty ugly. Yeah, right outside the stadium. So um, it's kind of disgusting. I mean, you don't want to see people walking around with weapons and shit, and especially after the the talks we had on the hooliganism. Um, And and it's a stark contrast to kind of when Liverpool had the – this great atmosphere before the Man City game. You know, they were kind of being lauded for that. And um, setting a great atmosphere, this was this was definitely not what you want to see. It's so funny, the, the, the stark differences between that Man City and Liverpool game where, yes, the Liverpool fans were rowdy and they were kind of like, in the video you can kind of see some people throw some stuff at a bus, but it's it wasn't of substantial amount. It was just, you know, it was rowdy and intimidating. Yeah. It wasn't... I wouldn't call that violent. And it was more fan against a, a, a bus. Right. Here it was more fan against fan. Which this was like a several brawls yeah. and fights that happened before and after yeah. the game right outside of Anfield. Yeah. And the fact that you had a guy walking around with a hammer, yeah. and there's a video of this on YouTube, like, yeah. it just goes to show what we were talking about last week. Hooliganism is not dead. No, yeah. and actually Roma have, been, have done this a couple other times, so... Uh, their fans stabbed six Liverpool supporters in 2001. Yeah. Then targeted Middlesbrough fans in 2006, Manchester yeah. United 2007, yeah. Arsenal in 2009, they're, and Chelsea's so last they're, year. So they're Jesus. they're notorious for this. Like, I was reading kind of just Twitter, and a lot of the like Manchester United accounts I follow were just like, "Yeah, we're not surprised <laughs> at all. Like yeah. these guys, they're they from have from going to Roma to watch United play against Roma. They're just like, yeah, uh, we have to wait and see what happens in the second leg because there's like gonna be blood on the streets. That's crazy. just <laughs> not something you want. Oh man, <laughs> I can't imagine what's gonna happen next week. Though. That is scary. Their team's down five two, and I bet the their supporters leg. are probably gonna. Yeah, be that's wild. that thing. Like, okay, well, I gotta set the tone outside right? of the pitch. I'll let you guys know that we're here. <laughs> we are <laughs> we're not gonna to fuck die. around. That's yeah. <laughs> ready to die, clowns? Yeah, that's so terrifying. Jesus yeah, Christ. not great. 
not great. Dude, but put your hammer away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah, last last week when I did say I was like for the, I mean, hooliganism, hooliganism <laughs> I mean, wouldn't be there without like the great sportsmanship and you know the fans and everything. But I wouldn't condone <laughs> no, hammers and or no. any weapons to yeah. any games. And I don't think they know yet if the the hammer guy was a Liverpool or Roma <laughs> fan. But uh, the, obviously the people that were arrested, they're probably questioning them and going through all in that. In that video where the guy's getting his ass beat in the street, there's one cop making sure that the one guy isn't dead but then there's like seven or eight guys beating the shit out of each other right behind this cop and i'm thinking like man if there's a cop there and he can't disperse yeah. a fight like they have something has too many to be- people exactly yeah. it's just overpowering yeah i used to when i was a kid and i would watch soccer i'd be like why are there so many police officers yeah. at games in england like yeah. i didn't get it when i was younger now clearly i understand it but like yeah yeah, even then, those guys, they're really just all for show because those cops can't stop shit either in a, in a stadium where if people, if everyone is just like, yeah, let's go run on the field. <laughs> they're, no, no, they're always those cops are <laughs> not stopping guns. anything. Yeah. yeah, unfortunate. But all right, let's move into something a little, I think I think this is more funny, uh, less dark, definitely less dark, no no dark in the, the, the remaining two topics. But um, Manchester United game versus Tottenham, we all know the result. If you don't, not going to bring it up. What was funny after this was the uh, reaction on Twitter. The English FA's Twitter account actually tweeted something, and it was uh, it was like a meme. And it was wh- what they did was um, it, there was an old video of Chris Smalling, and the caption was, and the caption was me. Chris, what's in your pocket? And then it goes Chris, and then it plays the video, and then the video is Chris Smalling saying. Harry Kane. <laughs> so, super funny. Like, from United fan, I thought this was really great. Them kind of making fun of Harry Kane. But they got a ton of backlash, like, so much. Because you have to think about it. That's their kind of golden boy. And there was even an article that came out saying, like, Harry Kane is our golden boy. We sh- we sh- he should not be the butt of any joke coming from his own federation. Um, so the FA kind of, through all this backlash, came out and was like, we're sorry, Harry Kane, blah, 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 blah. I kind of wanted to get your opinion on this, though, because it, it's different, right? Like, if imagine if the Sebaefi came out and made a meme about Neymar after him losing something, right? Or, you know, you, the U.S. Men's National Team Twitter account making a meme about Christian Pulisic a, after having a bad game. Um, I thought it was funny, but I can see why people would be like, don't make fun of your own star player. This kind of brings it back to the whole Arsenal fan TV thing, like uh, Hector Bellerin coming on and being like, "Come on, like don't hurt. Yeah. It's too bad." It's like, "Come on, really? Like yeah. if you're 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 a professional athlete, I get it's your own federation, but like, but come on, banter." I don't know if it's about. I don't know if it's necessarily against Harry Kane because I don't think yeah. he complained about it. What I see it as is why is the FA making jokes like that? <laughs> I don't think they're because it's place. 2018, dude. <laughs> I get it. They're trying to be funny. They're trying to stay relevant by making Twitter memes and all. But at the same time, it's just like I don't think the FA should be um, the FA shouldn't be making jokes. Where I do you where do you draw the line though? Because like I personally like I like that that like team Twitter accounts are. They know the platform and they know that, like, Twitter kind of lives off of this meme culture type of thing. Um, so I personally like, like, uh, I know I, even other accounts like Arsenal, Twitter account is really good at it. Um, Roma's Twitter account is awesome at the memes. Where do you draw the line? I think that a club talking about itself is one thing. I think that 
Byron has a Byron has, in my personal opinion, Byron has the best Twitter account. Yeah, Byron's is really Byron's good. Twitter account is hilarious. Roma's probably second for me in terms of <laughs> hilarity. But I think that when you're supposed to be an impartial organization, you're supposed to be impartial. You're supposed to be uh, very neutral. Uh, you're supposed to be like the UN, right? You're supposed to be like this thing where you cater to everybody. You shouldn't be getting involved. I think that's where I draw the line. Yeah. I think that yeah. if a club makes fun of someone, go for it. Yeah. You want to make fun of another team? By all means, keep it going. It's hilarious. But in terms of, of the FA, it's like they're supposed to be impartial. And people already bitch and moan about how United gets uh, referee calls. They used to talk about Howard Webb essentially being a part of Manchester United. Like all these jokes about Manchester United. So it's like when you're the FA tweeting slandering Harry Kane and Tottenham using Chris Smalling, it's it's hilarious, but it's also, it also doesn't really help the cause of United is the FA true. darling. Right? Yeah, that's true. And I, so yeah, I definitely think in terms of um, you don't want to create a rift in your own national team. And especially right. like Chris Smalling, um, he's already uh, the man. What's their manager? What's his name? Gareth um, Gareth Southgate has already said Chris Smalling will not be playing for them. So like, he, because he wants ball playing center backs, and then huh. so him and Chris Smalling have actually have some bad history. But um, to kind of make a meme about a guy that's not going to be playing for the team, even, even to making fun of the, probably the team's star player, um, not ideal. But that's hilarious. Yeah, I, I think that I thought that was really great. And they deleted the tweet, so you can't find it now. But I'm oh, sure I'm, I'm you gonna, can't find it uh, on Twitter. But you can when find I'm it. editing this video, yeah. I'll make sure I find it. Don't <laughs> yeah, worry, you'll for sure find it. I'll put it up. All right, guys, and. Final topic for today. I thought this one was really, really cool. It's something kind of um, extremely interesting I have never seen before. Um, Everton, this past weekend, brought out a virtual mascot. And for people that haven't seen, um, mascot here in this sense are the, the little ball, the boys and girls that come out with the players. Um, Everton brought out a virtual mascot for this boy named Jack McLinden. Uh, I hope I pronounced that correctly, but... Uh, he's a boy who's suffering from, I, I don't remember the, the the condition, but he's basically immobile. He's stuck in a hospital, can't move. Um, so this virtual mascot actually allowed um, Jack to experience walking in as a mascot for Everton. Um, Everton's captain brought him out front of the line. He that's got so to see cool. everything, experience everything. And it was the first ever virtual kind of mascot that's ever happened. Uh, I personally thought it was freaking awesome. It, it's a great little thing to not only to Jack, but kind of, kind of give kids the hope that they, hey, even if yeah. I'm in the hospital. And I think that there's an organization behind it that is working to help children with the same condition. I'm sorry that I, I, I can't remember the, the exact condition, but um, maybe we'll, we'll put the link to the organization in, in the show notes uh, to help these kids who are stuck in hospitals um, dealing with the kind of isolation. Um, but yeah, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. I think it's it, it's super awesome to kind of give yeah. that that hope to kids. I mean, I know with in the United States, there's like Make a Wish Foundation and all this stuff like that, and I know like Nike does Dornbacher and all the the cool designs that kids get to kind of participate in, and just to bring kids from a place where being a mascot as a kid and being a soccer fan is probably one of the most important things a kid probably yeah. could wish to do. So having a kid who never really thought he could be able to do that, I think it's amazing. I also was reading, like, just, like, on a lighter side, uh, people were saying, like, oh, man, like, good luck getting, like, the Wi-Fi service to work so that kid can, like, <laughs> yeah. mock around because it's, it's awful out here. But then they're like, nah, man, I'm in the stands right now and I have full Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow, they must have came in and brought a booster. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. 
Um, I think it's amazing the, what, what we can do with the power of technology today. You have a kid who is bedridden with a serious, serious health condition. The fact that he can still somewhat live his dream by still being able to be a mascot, despite the fact that he can't move, that must have meant so much to him and his family. So to me, I think that is amazing. Um, and I, I love it. I think that the fact that Everton did that is is class. So yeah. kudos to you, Everton. Kudos to the organization that helped pull this off. Well, child, I just looked it up. Well, child, well child. and they help giving um, children with seriously terminally ill conditions um, kind of better living conditions overall. So that's amazing. Um, shout out to Well Child. That's um, really cool. Kudos to them. It, despite it in terms of a in terms of a weird segue, talking about mascots, I saw this video the other day and it was really really funny and. It was of the France team coming out to play in a in a in a, in a match, and all the players had mascots. And N'Golo Conte's mascot. So, like Alan said, these mascots are like little kids that are like they get the chance to walk out with the players, and they stand in front of the players as they get a picture taken. There's this amazing video of the mascots lining up for France uh, in the France team, and in front of N'Golo Conte is a man is a little boy who's probably his height. <laughs> so the video pans right in front of him. And the little kid's head is covering Angola Conte's face. <laughs> and it's uh, the funniest thing, because Angola Conte is not so that tall. Yeah. And this kid was just freakishly big. So it was like uh, someone was panning across these players, and it was like, all right, tall player, short kid, tall <laughs> player, short kid, tall player, short kid. And then you have Angola Conte being devoured by like this little kid, basically. It was so funny. Yeah, um, I actually saw something similar Um with uh, Lorenzo Insigne, I think it was Lorenzo Insigne uh, for Napoli. He's a short guy, and they had a mascot that was actually taller than him, and he didn't stand behind them. So there's a picture of them, there's a picture of them, and he's standing off way to the side so no that he way. could like be seen. And then it's just like, <laughs> it was just some funny news. Like when they give you a mascot that's bigger than you, and Insigne's like way out of the picture in the, awesome. during the national anthem. But that's yeah, so it's really great. They really don't think those things out that much, apparently. But that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's um, get into the meat of the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about Nassau. So the North American Soccer League is suspending its league in 2018. So this is news that came out a few weeks ago, actually. Um, they are basically suspending their league for 2018 and their future is uncertain as a result of their failed lawsuit against the United States Soccer Federation. As well as when that happened, several of their clubs jumped ship to the USL or to other divisions. So we figured it would be a good time to talk about this current iteration of Nassau's impact, its legacy, kind of its future, and what it's kind of been doing over the past few years. Um, especially because it was a league on the rise. It was garnering a lot of different foreign investment. They were getting a lot of different clubs interested. They were finally growing up to about 12 teams last year, so it was slowly starting to get a lot of interest. Um, to give you an idea, uh, Eden Hazard, along with, um, he had a group of other players, they had invested in the San Diego team that was going to start cool. playing in yeah. Nassau. Huh. Um, and so that was really interesting. It was it, They actually revealed the team name, too, and they were going to officially launch in 2018. It was going to be called San Diego 1904, which... Awful team name. It's really yeah. bad. Their logo was weird. But that being said, they had been teasing it out for over a year, and they finally unveiled it. And as soon as they, this team unveiled it, the league basically got through, got into their legal issues with the USSF, and then decided they were suspending uh, operations for 2018. And so, basically, if you're wondering about the legal issues, we'll get into that later in the podcast. So if you're kind of holding on to your seat, tell us what it is. We'll we'll tell you at the end of the podcast. So we'll tell you. Out. 
So the most interesting parts about NASA was that so basically they are the second they were the second division in American soccer for the past about eight seasons. About eight seasons they have been the sec the de facto second division in America. And they basically wanted to create a league that was all of the things that MLS isn't or wasn't. And they kind of wanted to be the anti-MLS. They had no salary cap. They didn't like how basically the MLS is very dictate, like kind of treats all of its clubs like it's a, like it's a dictator over its clubs. And Everyone wear Adidas. Especially, actually, we were talking about the, the episode. We were talking about how this past, or about when this episode comes out two weeks ago, uh, they had the parlay jerseys for MLS. And it was really cool. The whole idea behind the parlay jerseys is phenomenal. But it ended up being very muted because every game on TV looked the same. Every and team was black and white. Every team was black and white. You either played in a black parlay kit or a white parlay kit. And it's like, you know, that's kind of probably the, not a very good example of how to, like how they try to like command so much. But at the same time, it's, it's just to illustrate that certain things just the MLS kind of dictates and teams yeah. have to follow. Um, but basically, uh, back to Nassau, they wanted to step away from this idea of how the MLS dictates to its clubs, and they wanted to honor the tradition of um, past American clubs because despite what a lot of Americans think, there is American soccer history. It's, it's that thing where people will talk about American soccer, like, oh, but we have no history, you don't do this. I mean, that's pretty true. There's lots of gaps within the American soccer history, but people seem to forget that America placed third in the 50s in a World Cup and that America did have teams in the 70s. So it's like there are little gaps of actual history. And so Nassau really wanted to honor that by essentially they, what they did was bring back a lot of these old clubs like the New York Cosmos or the Fort Lauderdale Strikers and um, what's the other Florida one? Tampa the, uh, Bay Rowdies. Tampa Bay Rowdies. And so they basically wanted to bring all these clubs back and, and really honor the heritage of past American clubs. And on a, on a, they also had plans to input a pyramid of leagues that was uh, essentially separate a little bit from the MLS because the MLS has always been adamant that they don't want to have pro promotion relegation. Yeah. So NASA was like, we're going to grow right. our league and then we're going to add our own pyramid right. and they wanted to have promotion and relegation. So right. basically, what happened and why didn't it work out for them? Before we dive into that, um, quick little history. Uh, basically, they were founded in 2009 and began play in 2011 with eight teams. Um, and they used to use a split season schedule from April to early November, similar to how we we're speaking about uh, how Mexico does it, and with a four-week break in July. And then the winner of the the winner of the spring championship would play the winner of the fall championship in the soccer bowl, which is what we were talking about. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. The best name ever. Yeah. My favorite name. And so, uh, yeah, that was just a little run through. There's not much to, to really say. It's a second division yeah. league. And no. Yeah. I think in terms of history, like as a league, there isn't really much, much to say there. I think the interesting things for us to kind of discuss is that Nassau as an idea really, hits a lot of the the check marks that we want kind of the MLS to transition to, right? This whole idea of accepting promotion relegation, not really having a salary cap. Uh, I mean, a lot of the, the a lot of the quote-unquote fixes that we think would really help the MLS out that Nassau was, was trying to implement, um, but it just didn't pan out, unfortunately. Right. Uh, they also were huge proponents of like independent ownership, of allowing pretty much anybody to kind of come in and own a club or, and join the team, whereas the MLS awards a city and an ownership group <laughs> a team based on whatever criteria they decide. It's not as open. Money. It's a money <laughs> system. It's not an open system for, um, it's 
it's not an open system, which is what NASA wanted to, to do. It's important to note that with the heritage aspects of this, that they, they did take the name NASA from the original North American Soccer League that ran between 1970 and 1985, which we've spoken about in the Portland Timbers and the Seattle Sounders episode. Um, but they have no relation to that league. All they did was try and revive a lot of the, a lot of the team names and try and keep it very, uh, by trying to pay an homage to the original NASA. Um, and so, and I think too cool. I think one thing that um, you mentioned was the, the fact that the NASA schedule kind of would even fit in with some of the fixes that we were talking about for the MLS in terms of the Concacaf Champions League, right? They they planned on partitioning. What was it April to November, and then having a, a four week break, and then start, and then having another second part to the the season. Another fix that we thought was something the MLS should implement. Yeah. So, um, a lot of these things that we think would align U.S.'s league um, soccer more with the world, NASA was trying to create, right? Yeah, NASA seemed to have implemented or taken a lot of the ideas from what Europe, other European leagues have done, tried and true leagues that, like, you know, basically trying to take tried and true ideas that other European leagues have done in the past and to implement in the U.S. And to me, a lot of people, at least to me, it seems that that is a easy idea, right? It's like, let's take something that works over there and apply it here. Right. And it seemed to be working for them for a while until clearly it didn't. But um, I guess the point we should talk about is do we think Nassau had the right idea in terms of trying to be the anti-MLS? Listen, I think they did. Um, and, and this is coming from someone who I'm even currently not super involved with the MLS. Like, I'm not necessarily in love um, with the idea of it. I really like that it's growing so much. I, li- I like the idea more that the sport is growing a lot in the U.S., but there's still a lot of flaws, maybe with just the way that I perceive how a league should be. I still feel like the MLS is still very much so trying to be its own thing apart from the world sport. Um, not They're not really trying to fit in. They are very much so trying to be kind of its own Americanized version of the sport, which I don't personally enjoy. Um, so do I like the idea of Nassau? Absolutely. Like I really, I mean, just going over some of these, these, these points here, I think that they had they had the right idea in mind and uh, I don't want to see a salary cap. I sure if one team gets overpowered, let it be. That's just the, the kind of the not the nature of the commerce of the sport. Um, so I, I really think that they had the right intentions in mind. So it's a bit of a shame that um, it didn't, it didn't work out for them, but I, I personally think that they were, they were on the right track. I think they were on the right track. They had the best ideas, but I think in order to sustain themselves, I don't think they should have been necessarily so against being against the MLS, yeah, you know, because they then divided themselves they way divided too much. themselves too yeah. much, and then that kind of set them on this path. Well, you yeah. know, it's funny. I don't know if they they were never like antagonistic against no. the MLS. They wouldn't actively go against them. All they said, what they basically set out to do, was we want to be different. They weren't like we're going to try and attack you guys or do something against you guys. It was just a matter of like. Clearly, you guys don't want to accept us into your, your, your wheelhouse here by not accepting promotion relegation, so we're going to do our own thing. And then that was kind of how they wanted to do it. I think that in terms of salary cap, I, weirdly enough, I'm in this weird, my, my personal opinions on this are very divided because while I 
I commend the I commend Nassau for what they wanted to do with you know a lack of a salary cap with a decentralized structure for the league. In other words, allowing independent owners to come in and have a board of directors which would all meet and decide things is very different. I like how that was different. I loved all of that, but at the same time, I understand why the MLS needs to have a little bit more. Uh, structure and a little bit more control to an extent, right? right. I think that for a, a fledging league where you're competing against four other major sports, it's hard for you to sustain your growth without uh, putting some restrictions on it so that it can be you know, a little bit more coddled and a little bit more... Uh, it's the two sides of the sword, right? right? You have It's a double-edged sword. Sorry, I, I'm foreign. Two sides of the same sword. I'm foreign. I don't know all these <laughs> expressions. Um, <laughs> it's a double-edged sword, right? You have on one hand the fact that by controlling and by having a salary cap, you allow this league to grow slowly. But at the same time, you end up creating this... This thing that a lot of people talk about, how American players are coddled, how the American League is coddled, and essentially the MLS lives in a bubble, how we've said. Right. Um, especially like you mentioned, the right. the MLS wants to live by itself and be its own thing. They don't want promotion relegation. They basically, basically MLS's idea is to make it 30-something clubs, do not yeah. have promotion relegation, and exist as a league apart from everything right. else. Which we've seen, I don't think that works for soccer. Soccer is such a global phenomenon. It's such a widespread thing that it has to be more connected with the rest of the world. I don't mean that. I don't actually think that American leagues need to adopt everything that right. European leagues right. do. Right. I think that there has to be a, a good middle ground, right? And I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that um, I think necessarily that salary cap is like, oh, needs to get rid of it. But I do think that just it, that that's an example of something that they're kind of sticking to. And um, it's, it's that along with, every other idea it seems like at the M- you look at a league somewhere else in the world you look at the mls and it's just completely different right so i think that there's just too much disparity in the way that the mls runs itself compared to the rest of the world which i don't i don't which i don't enjoy what i think is very interesting about this is that i think that the reason nassau started to gain a lot of following is that when they stepped in i think that the people in nassau viewed this issue of the mls trying to coddle the league as something of the past Because I understand MLS needing to coddle the league for the first, I don't know, decade, maybe. But I think that the MLS is at a point now that it could probably continue to grow without these restrictions, as exemplified by the fact that the MLS has adopted TAM and DP, and they are starting to make these new provisions to try and allow the league to grow. So in other words, the MLS is starting to see that they have to let up on some of these restrictions. And I think that Nassau, when they stepped in in 2011, was probably the right time where they were like, you know what? Or maybe maybe it wasn't the right time, but it was just before the right time to step in and go, let's have a league that doesn't have so many restrictions because the sport in America is almost self-sustainable. And so I think that for them, they were counting on that idea of American soccer continuing on this trajectory without being coddled, without being protected. Yeah. And which is, it's a funny thing thing to think about because a lot of the things that have transpired over the past year or the past two years actually has been I think because of the same issue where the MLS is starting to realize that there is a bigger hunger across the board for soccer and that's where we start to get into the sticky situation of the legal issues and so essentially what happened was in 2015 Nassau sent a letter to the US soccer president Sunil Gulati at the time Accusing the U.S. soccer, accusing U.S. soccer of antitrust violations, 
should they adopt the proposed criteria for a sanctioned Division One soccer league? Because for a long time, Nassau wanted to be a Division One soccer league right next to the MLS. Because they're like, all right, cool. You want to have your own thing? That's fine. We'll be parallel with you with our own league. And basically, what ended up happening was... So basically what happened is the USSF, the United States Soccer Federation, what they were going to do is change criteria for uh, Division One sanctioning. So in other words, it meant that they had to increase the minimum stadium size to 15,000, increase the minimum number of teams to 16, and change the minimum population required in 75% of the teams from a population of 1 million to 2 million. What that translates to is that for you to be considered a Division One soccer league, you had to have all of these things which are a lot higher than they were previously. And so Nassau was essentially almost on its way to being considered Division One up until these changes took effect. Right. Shortly thereafter, uh, they were they were always sanctioned. They were always granted per Division Two status, but then the USSF essentially stripped that from Nassau. Yep. Because they the, the USSF claimed that Nassau wasn't meeting up to even these Division Two standards. They were saying that Nassau didn't have uh, the the right size stadiums. They didn't have the right kind of essentially all of these criteria. They weren't they were, even growing fast enough to to sustain Division Two level. Exactly, and so. Um, both sides are essentially arguing with very fair points, right? The USSF was saying was the reason they were changing the criteria is because by changing the criteria, it meant that the game was growing and it meant that other things could be implemented. In other words, they're trying to, you know, progress the game a little bit. But what that meant was that they were essentially alienating Nassau because they were the only other league that yeah. existed. Yeah. And so what ended up happening was they stripped them of their Division Two status, and that's why Nassau is not playing in 2018. As a result of this, Nassau had 12 teams. Eight of their teams backed out because they're like, we are a million-dollar club, each yeah. of these, and we have salaries because there's no salary cap. They have salaries of incredible amounts mm -hmm. that they weren't going to be able to pay. And so, meanwhile, while all of this is happening, uh, the USL, which was the Division Three of American soccer for a very long time, came to a historical agreement with the MLS. So ML, it used to be MLS, NASL, and USL right below it. So then by USL and the MLS coming to an agreement where they basically became the uh, amateur division. So in other words, development, kind of like, the, kind of development league. For kind of the, like how the NBA oh, has the G yeah. League or how baseball has AAA, AA, single A, whatever those are. Um, the USL essentially became that for MLS. And so these ideas of creating a pyramid of promotion relegation, MLS was already starting to stamp out by doing these sorts of things. And so what happened was when they they originally granted Division II status to both NASL and the US the, the USL. So then for about one year, both of these clubs, well both of these leagues operated as the Division II, concurrently parallel mm -hmm. to one another. And then MLS teams started to buy USL teams. So now basically a, a very large majority of MLS teams own USL teams. Yeah. So you have like Seattle 2 and Toronto FC 2 and yeah. LA Galaxy 2. and yeah. um, Usually named in some standard like that. Like super boring. Not super giving lame. them any creativity whatsoever. But. And now this isn't actually unheard of because in Spain this is very common. Yeah. Every team in Spain has a, uh, a B team that plays a few divisions below. But the way it works in Spain is very weird to me because I don't think that, like, Real Madrid B can actually... Um, they can't actually go they up. They can't get promoted. No. And so they're basically forever stuck in the third or second division of Spain just because 
it wouldn't make sense for yeah. Real Madrid to have an A and a B team in the first. Damn, imagine yeah, yeah. Like and they usually play only youth. Too. It's usually only youth players that kind of play in the. Anyways. That or just like a injury, player who like players come back from injury or something. Yeah. Something you're usually yeah, yeah. And so, by that happening, it. What then Nassau ended up accusing the ML, the USSF and MLS of doing is that essentially they're accusing the MLS and the USSF of coming together in a conspiracy to essentially wipe out Nassau by creating a monopoly of clubs for the MLS. So think right. about it. If the MLS owns the top division of Division One and also owns a majority of the teams in Division Two, they own a monopoly on the sport. Right. And so... There are two sides to this, of course, and, you know, it does seem a little fishy that all of these things kept changing and the USL agreement coming in, and it does feel a little bit like the USSF and the MLS were trying to basically wipe out Nassau, yeah. um, which is sad because there were some Nassau teams, like the New York Cosmos, were getting a lot of attendees to their yeah. games, you know? There were a lot of people showing up to, to, U- to Nassau games. and um, you know, But I, I think that... I think something that's you you keep mentioning the uh, the other side is that USSF, regardless of all the, these claims that Nassau makes, is is repeatedly has made statements saying that well Nassau just isn't being truthful about their growth, right? That's been the problem, and Nassau's been kind of deflecting that that issue and, and that point by saying well whatever you're still monopolizing the sport so the two sides are the ussf is saying you're just you're not being truthful you're not growing that much you're trying to get status for this either division two division one you don't belong there because you can't actually sustain that nassau is deflecting that by saying well it's hard to have any growth if we're being um shot down and not given an opportunity right so I, i i think it's interesting and i'd like to kind of get your opinions on like a who do you believe here and and b do you see anyone at fault for this right do you think that do you think nassau if if nassau wasn't lying were they really being screwed out of a deal like this or is there some way i mean should there have been more transparency as an issue or would i want to get kind of your opinions on that i think that nassau was definitely reaching for something that they weren't ready to attain yet i believe that they were making growth, but I think they might have reached too far for that yeah. apple that wasn't going to yeah. be there. And who's to say that if the USSF was like, fine, do what you want, and then up uh, uh, turns out a couple of years, it's like, oh, we can't actually do yeah. this. So, yeah. uh, But at the same time, there is also the fact that it, it makes me believe that like MLS and USSF want to have their hands in every kind of aspect of soccer in the United yeah. States. And I don't believe that. That is very um, It's a little healthy. fishy. Yeah, and it's a little fishy just seeing kind well, of how they progressed. Before we get to that aspect of it, because I do want to discuss whether or not we think that monopolization is correct or not, I think that to answer the, the question of who do I think is right, it's hard. I think Brennan had make, made a huge point, is that they probably were reaching for something a little too fast. But what I want to point to is that the only thing that caused that league to fold was the fact that they were stripped of their sanctioning. Because... When they got stripped of their sanctioning, that meant that you had teams with million-dollar salaries, million-dollar teams who just lost Division Two status. And so I think that had that been left alone, this league would have been able to grow at its slow, steady pace, and it would have been what a lot of people might have wanted it to be, right? Because a lot of well, people want to support the MLS, but they don't like the, the silly rules. They right. don't like the funny money rules. They don't like the the 
dictation from the right. MLS onto these teams. So I think that Nassau could have achieved that. Now, do I think that Nassau was kind of using this lawsuit to deflect a little bit of their own blame? 100%. I think that they pursued this lawsuit so wholeheartedly because it was it was going after their central, everything that they were, their central identity. But at the same time, they probably weren't growing fast enough. They didn't have enough teams. And the truth is is that, that the MLS had been picking off teams from Nassau to essentially, quote-unquote, promote to the MLS, basically handpicking the best Nassau teams and being like, ooh, you would be yeah. really good for the uh, MLS, so we'll take well, you. Well, how do you feel about the MLS changing its – or not the MLS, sorry, the, MLS, the USSF changing its requirements for the, having that, that Division One requirement – not only have changing it at such a kind of suspicious time, but changing it to such a level, right? It went from what was it? What was the, it? Was uh, that to fifteen thousand, and it was like a thousand five five thousand before. Like it was a yeah. pretty big jump. I feel like um, something that uh, to me when I when I hear you say that it was like ooh, making it just just out of reach yeah. enough where we could kind of get away with saying, well, this is where the sport is, but at the same time being like, we know you can't yeah. really reach this. That's <laughs> the biggest point is the fact that the only other Division One league in, the, in America was the MLS. The only league that could attain that sanctioning was the MLS. The fact that the USSF essentially got scared, potentially at the growth of Nassau, and we're like, oh, crap, guys. They're basically on their way of being another sanctioned Division One league they were the only people trying to get there so the fact that the ussf saw this one were like oh wait a second we're going to change these rules to match only what the mls can attain right. so it's almost like it's the only like they did it because there was there was a threat to their dominance at the top of the pyramid right and it wasn't like there was three other leagues vying for this in other words it, th what i'm trying to say is if in the event that there were three leagues trying to vie for this Division One slash Division Two status, um, then I could understand the USSF changing its its regulations right. and its criteria, right? But only that one. But the fact that there's only one league trying to attain this and actually doing a decent enough yeah. job—I'm not saying they were amazing. They didn't. Right. There were a lot of things they didn't do correct. But yeah. the fact that there was a league that was essentially posing a threat—the only league posing a threat—and they changed the rules to alienate them. That's fishy. Right. And I wonder them changing, like them saying that NASA wasn't growing fast enough. Was that in, re was that relative to the MLS or was it, and, and to the old kind of standard of what the division one team had to be, or if that was according to this new standard, right? Because if it were up to the new standard, sure. I'm sure the, that NASA wasn't growing that quickly because that, I mean, for, it, was a, it was a fairy tale right, criteria right, that they imposed that, themselves. That they imposed that they knew only the MLS would fit in. Whereas before, if they had if the criteria were the same, it stayed the same. I'm sure that, that, that NASA, so their numbers couldn't have been that off where they were expecting that they couldn't still maintain, stay in that kind of what it was to be a Division I um, uh, organization. So I don't know. I, it's definitely sketchy. I, I, would, I mean, there's both sides. It's hard, too, because there's that, that issue of transparency from both Nassau and the MLS. So this is an issue we talked about. Um, when we did the episode on the USSF, lack of transparency from from the leagues as a whole, we don't get all the information, right? We don't have the numbers. We don't. We can't say. I can't be like, well, I I look at these numbers. Nassau, they weren't lying. It's all just one side's telling us. It's it's like this draw. It's a, it's, a, it's a drama between leagues when it and, and really shouldn't be. It's for the betterment of the sport. I think. Right. 
But also at the same time, it's like one versus one. It's like like you said, there's no three teams. It almost seems impossible to not believe that that setting that bar too high was not like vindictive in a sense. Right, and, and I don't know. I'm so my question is, if left alone, if they if the USSF had not done this, is really the way I, I thought about this is is if if the United States Soccer Federation had not imposed this criteria, what was going to happen? Yeah, I mean, Play it's that out in your head, and that's where you can see where they were threatened by. Because if they had left it alone, there was a chance that Nassau would have garnered a lot of following. Yeah, I mean, maybe they would have folded on their own accord because they were tr- they were biting more than they could chew. But at the same time, I personally think the USSF got scared because they probably thought it through and were like, "Shit, you know, there's a there's a league here that's promising promotion and relegation, which is something that a vast majority of the people who follow the sport want." Because it keeps clubs accountable, it keeps it's it's a democratic open system, and they were like, sure, that's very far off. That's maybe twenty years in the future, but they were probably like, what can I, what can we do now yeah. to fix this? And listen, the USSF is a rich organization; they know that, right? So they can kind of project out into the future, and we've seen it kind of being thrown into the into this mix of so much has gone into now for creating kind of local teams. So every city now seems to have kind of a, um, a local team that plays in the men's league. And to me, what that shows is that there is interest for these lower league teams. And if Nassau had been able to stay afloat, I'm sure the, you know, the Cosmos, a lot of these teams that have a history, real, real history in the United States, they would have garnered more attention mm-hmm. over the years. And having this resurgence of kind of um, supporting local um, football would have really pushed a lot of these teams to a level that could compete with the MLS. So I definitely see some scarcity. I mean, I, I definitely see why the MLS would be scared. But what I, what I find interesting is why the USSF would try to shut down potentially another super yeah, competitive just more soccer growth. league. So my question is, why does it seem like the MLS and the USSF are so in bed with one another? Yeah. Because in every other country, you have the federation as its own independent organization over here, and over on the other side, then you have the leagues. Yeah. And yes, they work in commune. They, they are like a communal thing. They work together. But at the same time, they are independent organizations. Yeah. You shouldn't, like, the fact that the MLS has so much power over the USSF is scary. Like, yeah. it shouldn't be this easy for, for the MLS and the USSF to just in front of everybody's eyes be like nah we're gonna do some sketchy shit yeah i'd say around the world uh, these kind of um like the the ussf equivalent would almost be they there's they're um criticized for not being involved enough uh, you know see like brazil sebefi they have a whole host of issues that they don't deal with the brazilian leagues um i mean in this podcast the fa making fun of harry kane we see that like they're the, obviously they're not that intertwined like they're they're willing to still kind of take some risks Obviously, that's a, a stupid little um, a little joke, but regardless, it seems like the USSF and MLS are so in bed with each other. Like one, they're they're one in the same, right? And I don't think that that should be the case because you you have to have accountability. Yeah, you have it's to just have, if a league steps out of bounds, you should have the federation there to fix it and course correct it, not essentially abed anything they want to do. Um, but going back a little bit and kind of throwing a counterpoint to all of this, when Nassau filed this lawsuit, some of Nassau's clubs didn't know about this lawsuit and also didn't support it. <laughs> so it's it's another issue that you could think about. Like, for example, um, two of their clubs said that they weren't even, they found out about the lawsuit over the telephone. Oh, wow. So in other words, it was yeah. like, 
almost that situation of like, don't poke the bear, right? Had they just not filed the lawsuit and just kind of accepted that Division Two status along with USL? Or actually, I'm sorry, what ended up happening was that um, the USSF essentially then demoted Nassau and said, oh, you can be Division Three, And that was what they kind of came back to Nassau with when Nassau started complaining yeah. about them stripping their yeah. sanctioning. So to give you a little recap, because I think we, we might have got a little confusing with it. So essentially, Nassau at one point was trying to achieve Division One status. The USSF changed the criteria. In other words, bumped up the MLS to be the only Division One league. And then the USSF bumped up USL to being the Division Two right next to Nassau. And then a year later demoted Nassau to Division Three. Yeah. And with that demotion to Division Three, Nassau lost money because of that. Uh, it's a perception thing. Yeah. If you hear that a league is Division Three, you're like, ah, that, who cares about a Division Three league yeah. or whatever? A lot of the sponsorships backed out in Nassau. Four team, or I'm sorry, four teams remained and eight teams jumped ship. Um, a lot of owners were a little upset. The amount of money they were going to make is going to be a lot less. Um, and so that's when Nassau decided to file the lawsuit. Yeah. And some of the clubs were kind of just like, why did you do that? Why did you poke the bear? You could have just left it alone. We could have continued operating as a Division Three. But then again, you have to think about the logistics. I don't think they could have actually continued operating as a Division Three yeah. because of salaries, because of all these things. Um, but and, and that mentality kind of scares me. Like, you should be allowed to... Con- the, the, the bear here, right... <laughs> You should be able to um, be able to voice your kind of worries that you shouldn't be getting demoted, right? Yeah. Um, this kind of poke the bear mentality is scary because, like, if you it's it's like that. Oh, you don't want to go against the top the top guys, or you're, they're going to be punished more than you are. You you kind of want some some justice, some equality. <sighs> I don't know. It's it's tough. Again, it, it's it's tough uh, not wanting to pick a side because you don't know all the information. You just end up sounding kind of foolish. But um, both sides equally, I think, um, equally as sketchy in this whole kind of debacle. Who do you think is, is right in this, Brendan? Oh, God. Um, honestly, I believe that the MLS should have given Nassau a shot. At D1? At D1. Yeah. Just give them a shot. I mean, like, honestly, if the MLS was growing at the pace it's been growing at, like, these crazy, like, last season was great. This season, I'm sure yeah. the attendance ratings are great again. Like, in uh, the U.S., like, why is competition, yeah. like, isn't that what it's all about, yeah. like, competition? Yeah. But, like, and if the MLS were growing so fast, let it grow. Yeah. If something else is trying to kind of warrant that, it's that same issue of, like, we are such a, we are a nation uh, and a culture that is so in love with competition yeah. outside of our actually competitive sports, right? It's we so try weird. to we baby the, the competitive sports. We don't want promotional relegation anything. We want closed leagues, but we also but claim God that we want... damn, you trying to come we, in and yeah, play with we, us. We really want that kind of competitive culture, but we don't garner that kind of competition in our leagues, which yeah. I find What's very crazy is that, like you said, if the MLS were growing so fast... Why does it matter if yeah. Nassau continues to operate give as it a Division that, Two give league? It, it doesn't. Yeah. Any, it, but even so, give them the D one title yeah. as well. Yeah. What's the what's, what's the what are you so worried about? And then what <laughs> if you don't think paying, like then you start yeah. doing inner 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 league play and yeah. just uh, you, have a new, you have a new cup. It's uh, ridiculous, man. It's it's terrifying. So 
to answer the question, do we think that the USSF intentionally tried to ruin Nassau to benefit MLS and the USL? Yes. Wow. <laughs> um, ah, I think so, too. I do think that... And just given the history of uh, not to harp back on the USSF episode, when we did that the kind of whole investigation, it's not transparent, right? And there seems to be kind of this... Um, lying in bed within the two leagues we don't know why i'd love to say that we have a president now that we're gonna make the league more transparent we do not so um i think it's gonna kind of stay in that same direction which is unfortunate but i mean i don't know i think we could have really seen some great things if we had two again it's that same thing that you said it's just a semantic saying that you had two division one leagues sure it doesn't really matter you like people would still see the mls as a I think the general population would still see the MLS as a division yeah, because one league. Even because even I there's myself, the that, yeah, I, I, I didn't know much about Nassau. Right, and even right. if they were a division one, if anything, it might right. have just like, oh, I can watch both leagues now. Right, this it's is just good. like, and even then, like the MLS, I'm sure, would have their same television deals. Uh, all of that, if they were growing as quickly as they were, it, it almost seems like you, if there was anything to be scared of, uh, if there wasn't anything to be scared of, sorry, they wouldn't have done anything. Right. But there being that that them doing that taking that step to kind of you know raising the bar like oh you, oh yeah you're it were, uh to get on this roller coaster you have to be uh six feet tall not five feet tall anymore that kind of step is really sketchy yeah um i i think that the only time this would have made sense was if the mls had ever tried to establish promotion relegation because that's when in, in reality then you do need yeah. one league at the top of the pyramid but the fact that Absolutely. MLS has been adamant from the beginning and to this day saying we will not have promotion relegation, right. it does not matter how many, yeah. quote unquote, Division One leagues yeah. there are. It is irrelevant. Yeah. It is ridiculous right. to think that by being scared of another Division One league, when you yourself have stated that you don't want to have yeah. a pyramid or level system, yeah. it makes no sense to me. Absolutely. You could, they could have just been left alone to continue being sanctioned by the USSF and nothing would have happened because, cl- like, it's it's absurd. It's yeah. so crazy that this even transpired because why was the MLS so scared? Yeah. You see the MLS numbers. Teams are averaging, you know, a lot of viewership every game. Their, their television deals are doing really well. Teams are doing really well. We're attracting a lot of good talent. Clearly, things are on the up for the MLS. Why were they so scared? Right. And... Why were they so scared to the point that they had to demote them to Division Three? If they wanted to be like, you know what, we want to be the only Division One club or the only Division One league. Let's let these two leagues operate as Division Two. That's fine. Like even then, I can almost be like, ah, oh, whatever, fine, leave it alone. Let them be Division Two. But to then kind of strip Nassau and say, nah, you can only play as Division right. Three because we right. already have this Division Two league, which is right. USL, right. which is sketchy because USL teams didn't all meet the criteria. For Division Two, Division two yeah. you know what they did? Basically, each USL team came out and said, "Oh, we have a plan to reach it." And USSF was like, "Perfect, that's <laughs> yeah, enough." Nice. And you're like, "Are you yeah. kidding me?" Yeah, yeah. A- again, it's yeah. The poking the bear ended up really being a, a, a something that that hurt them. It's so unfortunate, man. It's like you want to see as much competition as possible, and then now you lose a league. You yeah. know, you're it's going to be years now decades you could say before like a league can really establish itself as the third division if there were to be a real third division that's going to be competitive and um 
it, it just prolongs not only kind of the development of the sport here, but do, do, it prolongs that promotion relegation scheme, yeah. right? Because right now you have two leagues. Like, there isn't really going to be much movement there. Especially when um, half of the teams in the, in the <laughs> yeah. top league own half the teams in the bottom league. Right. So I think one of the final questions we should maybe touch upon is, how concerning is it that it now seems that MLS clubs own and operate all Division One men's teams and all Division One women's teams, as well as a majority of Division Two men's teams? If you listen to the NWSL episode we did, you know that a lot of MLS clubs now have ownership in NWSL clubs. Yeah. So, in other words, the MLS now owns the top of two pyramid, uh, the top of two different uh, pyramids, I guess that they won't call pyramids, and <laughs> also the Division Two within men's. Yeah. How concerning is that? It is relatively concerning, but I guess at the same time, if there's going to be just one central focus, why not just have one kind of governing thing, try to grow it as a whole? Yeah. I mean, if it's if it's going to help grow both men's and women's and whatever team they do own, I think it's it's not the worst thing. But if, if Nassau had still been its independent thing, I would say it'd be worse. But now that Nassau's out, I think, like, it stinks to say, but yeah, no. So uh, again, and we touch upon this like throughout this episode, the the uh, NWSL episode. Like, it will sustain growth for right now, but it it becomes an issue in the future when people start, and, and this will happen for sure. Is people want to see that separation, right? When when the women's team doesn't even have their own website separate from the <laughs> men's team, something that we saw. When you start seeing that type of stuff. It starts getting really concerning because it really just becomes this boys' clubs of of teams, right? And I don't say mean to say boys' club is in like a like a misogynistic way. It just becomes this club of an elitist, an elitist club. club of of teams are going to be here forever. They're not going to be relegated. Live with it, die with it. There's nothing to hold them accountable. Right there, there is no re- there's no repercussions for being bad. There's no re- you're just here. If your owners are making money, they're happy. If 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 they're not, then they invest. But there's no there's no risk of failure really. If we're being completely honest, so it's unfortunate because I do think in the future it's going to end up being very very bad, and it's going to require some type of uh, revolution like yeah. almost type mentality to really change to really get out of that. Um, get out of that situation so i, do, I don't like I, I think that right for right now it's doing the job of making sure that the sport is growing both men's women's and youth whatever it may be but in the long haul it's really going to be something that hurts hurts u.s soccer i i agree with both of you i think that you can actually see the the dividends being paid right now in the short term for them owning usl you know you have i i, I was paying attention on on facebook the other day of um, a lot of Atlanta United supporters, they make the trip to Atlanta United 2's games. So, in other words, a lot of the regular MLS supporters for Atlanta United, they go and support yeah. the USL team. And they had 6,000 uh, people in their first game in their first season, which a lot of USL teams didn't. So, they are growing the sport, right? It just it really bothers me when it seems like there's a small group of people in charge of everything. And that right. is never good. If you look at history, if you look at how anything has ever transpired you know that a central dictator kind of control doesn't work forever. You will, it will work in the beginning. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's, yeah I it's, almost compared to like yeah. communism. Yeah. Communism worked yeah. great in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And Everyone's then, kind of honeymoon phasing it. And, yeah. and it will go to shit yeah. if it continues to be this way. So yeah. I, I hate it. I, of course, Nassau had its problems. 
they clearly were to an extent using the lawsuit kind of as a smokescreen to take some of the pressure away from themselves but at the same time it it does have a lot of truth to it it's it's hard this whole discussion of who's right who's wrong it's very difficult because both sides made amazing points and they're both sides are, are essentially fighting for a very similar thing which is fighting for the sport in america but i don't know i think that the sport in america actually ended up losing in the long run because i didn't i don't see i still don't see what would have happened if nassau had just continued to yeah. operate yeah what could have been, Yeah, I think. What a coulda, shoulda. Yeah. All right, I think that that covers everything for today. It was a good yeah. discussion. Got a lot of emotion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Her blood, blood is <laughs> boiling. boiling, not only because of the topic, but the room that we're in is very hot. But, um, I, think that, I think that's it for this week. Another stupendous episode. Thanks for joining along the ride. Nassau out. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? Are they going to come back? We don't know. We hope so. I know it's been an emotionally driven ride for us today. Let us know what you think in the comments and we'll get back to you. Until next week, we love you.